Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And uh, it's been a long time since we got together and uh, went live on everything. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, definitely, it's been missed. It's been a long time. There's been some uh, hiccups in our in our uh, things because of just lack of uh, practice. It would be a little out of practice, but hey, we wanted to bring a show uh, again and get this thing uh, back rolling. Um, but there's been a lot of things that's gone on, um, you know, over the past like months since we really haven't uh, got together and went live. So, you know, last there's a lot of catching up to like, do. Last program was like July 4th, if I remember right. Something like Am that, I, yeah. Am I correct about that? Like, uh, some meme theology talked about the NFL and uh, their whole uh, using the black uh, national anthem and yeah that's kind of the, like the last thing we talked about when we were together anyways yeah, yeah so, I think that was the last uh, yeah last live thing we did and I mean uh, before uh, we were doing all this stuff I mean we were like doing two or three shows a day and that's what uh, has kept everything going uh having a uh, fresh content out at least for the podcast uh uploading one one a week kind of a thing and and keeping it out there in little bits and pieces as we roll along anyway um so we've we've we definitely put in a lot of time and just to uh th- just uh i'm gonna call it because i think this is true and if i go back and you know look th- after this is all done i'm probably going to be right but this is our 150th ep- episode dude outstanding this is one great job man oh, great job to you times we've gotten together <laughs> and we yeah. have been able to record and uh, talk about apologetics and worldview issues and discuss things that are going on in the world that is amazing through covid and everything adam we've done it yeah yeah and i just want to you know like we we have done so many shows and we've had like uh, ups and downs with the audio and video and all that kind of stuff and there might be a slight little weird thing on dave's end but yeah dave's not in the studio um and that's because uh i know that we didn't really post it a lot on the tag your it page um but dave you went through some foot surgery i know that we've announced all that kind of stuff but uh how are you doing through all that man i'm doing good uh getting better all the time my leg is, I'd say, I have non-weight-bearing status on my leg until at least September the 8th, and then hopefully after that, everything will turn around, and uh, I'll be able to be back in the studio. It'll be it's a little hard for me to get into the studio uh, when I don't have the ability to walk, uh, so rather than using my crutches and crutching up all the stairs at Adam's house, yeah. I'm here in the office today in Buffalo, and I'm glad to be here and grateful the opportunity to discuss, I think, important issues, important articles, uh, and sport, important topics, and always try to demonstrate how a Christian mindset and worldview should think through current events. I think that's always one of the things that I'm wanting to grow in, and also teach people how to respond to things from a biblical and from a Christian worldview perspective. And yes, I disagree with Richard Howe. There is a Christian worldview. Yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> a biblical worldview. 
Um, that's right. That's, yeah, there's a there is a biblical worldview. Worldview is an issue. It's not a pseudo problem. Um, and uh, yeah, we do need to discuss that. And I mean, I got to read an awesome book. Um, just got done, and I would probably uh, definitely say that a lot of people um, it would be it benefit you to uh, read it. Um, uh, if you look at the book, it says world inerrancy and worldview, and you might be a little disappointed at the inerrancy side because you're probably want to going to dig into a lot of things. Um, but it's sort of uh, just talking about it's a continuing conversation and so it's it's good to already know what inerrancy is going into it but some uh, modern challenges uh just kind of a good uh, refresher to people that um haven't uh, read or, or thought about inerrancy that debate for a while um, but it's uh, inerrancy and worldview by Vern Poitras is put out in like 2012 um, but I uh, just went to uh, CPO Redeem they had a special 40% off used books um, for uh, members there and uh, so did that uh, we found that book and I was like hey I better grab that it's Poitras it's inerrancy and stuff and so it wasn't what I expected but it was great because it just discussed the worldview issue um, that we currently definitely need um as especially as what we're looking out uh into uh the world right now and seeing what's going on um we got to constantly bring people back to um the foundations of what they are doing they're doing things um they're they're borrowing things from the the world that god created the world that god is lord over the world that jesus christ came and he came to save a people unto himself um and has given us clear revelation on uh on these things and we need to discuss worldview issues uh, especially as i um, went to uh, another uh, generation of kings last night they had a part two and they're going to do even more and i want to tag your it to you know I, I i want to be able to um to get that information from some of the people that are putting that together. I'm going to try to see if we can set up some uh, interviews with uh, those guys. But, you know, whenever we get into that conversation, that's where worldviews collide um, and where Christians need to come and talk and listen to their worldview, listen to what they um, are talking about, um, where they're seeing the deficiencies uh, of their worldview come into a head that they don't like. And then where you can be like, well, that's because you accepted a bad worldview. Um, here's Jesus Christ. Here's the reality of the thing. Here's the gospel. And here's how we can come together and become brothers and sisters in Christ um, and make disciples and do what we're called to do as Christians anyway. So um, yeah, with that, with that said, you know, that's just kind of uh, some good catch up. Um, Dave and I ended up uh, kind of uh, doing our own thing during that time. Dave, uh, you ended up going to an awesome conference, didn't you? Yeah, I got to speak at the uh, Witnesses for Jesus conference back in July. It was outstanding, put on by Sunrise Baptist Church and uh, Daniel Wayland, who's a member of the um, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, and Charles Smith, who we've had on the program. Mm-hmm. They just did an outstanding job. Got to speak beside Robert Bowman and Rob Phillips and uh, Don Venoit. Uh, just an outstanding opportunity to get to demonstrate how um, the Jehovah Witnesses use evangelical language in their terminology, and they basically redefine terms or also misrepresent intentionally um, Christian statements and Christian, uh, Christian, what I would say, Christian theological jargon. That's not really to be pejorative, but to just be straightforward. Like, there is theological jargon, there is words and verbiages that is important to Christian theology that we all need to be uh, equipped with, 
But when those who are Jehovah Witnesses utilize that same language that we use, they mean different things. And so if you want to hear what I said, that is actually on the last podcast mm-hmm. that we released. And so I know a few people have already listened to that. But if you haven't, I do think that it's useful. And uh, Adam, you ought to share just briefly kind of what you did in your speaking opportunity, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So I know uh, I asked you guys to pray for that to come through and it did come through and apparently if you've uh looked at the updates on uh your favorite podcast app or whatever you've seen them come up they're really sort of podcast exclusives i haven't put them out on youtube or anything like that so if you are a podcast listener hey you got your exclusive content from uh dave and ray 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 or <laughs> dave and ray ray there right. um but anyway yeah they're they're on there and so i got to speak twice um there was my buddy uh jason gunter um he's a youth pastor at riverview baptist church and uh, Osage Beach, Missouri. Um, since uh, all this stuff has gone on, um, they've closed camps and all that kind of stuff. But Windermere, um, the, the now I guess back back in the hands of the uh, Missouri Baptist uh, Convention. Um, it's a little campground area that's been around for a long time. Um, really cool, quaint, quiet place um where you can get away and i think i guess they you know they'll host camps and stuff but since there was no official camp because of gatherings and stuff like that he got his youth group together and uh sort of became a camp director um for his kids that could come to that and so he invited me to come up and uh you know talk about apologetics so you know i still i got to um go to uh you know just a younger generation of kids um that uh, really didn't have a whole lot of um you know, just jargon, didn't know, know much about what apologetics was. And then, um, I got to, you know, really, I came in with something that I wanted to do and then I got, I had to adjust because of the situation. I think it's really awesome to be, um, flexible like I was, but I got to go talk about, uh, being, uh, being a great commission apologist, which is, you know, understanding the ethos of the person being an apologist because you get up on YouTube um, and then you end up making your own definition of what, what an apologist is. And it seems like an office. It seems like something special and all that kind of stuff. Whenever, you know, scripturally, what is an apologist and it's everyone who believes in Christ. Um, it's not reserved for a select few. Now there might be people with a more bent to um, study those kind of things, but you know, there's different giftings and stuff like that. But uh, everybody is a theologian. Everybody ends up um, having, the faith given to them and they can defend it and they're called to defend it. So I got to do that, but, you know, discussing, um, just being a disciple, discussing all these kind of things, um, with them and just giving them the seed that, uh, that uh i guess jason can now you know that it's making them ask questions and and to for him to be able to shepherd those kids into being disciples um being holy for god is holy and then you know uh contending for the faith because christ is their motivator they set apart christ as lord in their hearts being ready to uh give an answer for the hope that lies within them the gospel being that hope uh, that they're defending. So anyway, that was great. And then going through the 10 tenets of uh, covenantal apologetics from K. Scott Oliphant. So I got to really sort of throw a bunch of stuff over their heads, but they, uh, a lot of them reach are reaching out because they, I talked over their heads, but they're reaching up and asking questions. And so they're growing. Um, and I, you know, I'm thankful to Jason, um, for his, for understanding and we're, we're pretty like-minded on approach. It's kind of like throwing something up in the air and hopefully, um, they'll ask questions so they can catch it and shepherding can be had and, and relationships can be made like that, uh, over the scripture. So that was, that was a great time. And I just wanted to, uh, just put, give a shout out because of what Dave talked about since, uh, we have a podcast on that, um, just, uh, the language, 
um, issue. But uh, Dave, a long time ago, wrote a book called An Invasion and Invasion of the Word Snatchers. Um, I've got a copy here. We've got a, we got some copies. If you need one, um, we can get you hooked up, but invasion of the word snatchers. And, uh, he does talk about Jehovah's witnesses in the book. Um, also Freemasonry. Right. Yeah. 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 We need to rewrite that so we yeah. can, uh, include your stuff into that. Yeah. Uh, it's another one of the projects we need to, to work on, uh, which we do have our, our two books in the, uh, 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 in the uh, in the I don't want to say in the oven or or on the oven right there they're, yeah. they're we're working on them uh, doing the best we can to make sure that we get those out hopefully before the end of the year but we will have a special podcast where we'll have Travis in and and we're gonna spend some time directly kind of talking about our book on podcasting and apologetics and why podcasting is an effective means for doing apologetics which obviously. If you're listening today or watching today, you you believe that that is true um, because you've tuned into a uh, apologetics Christian apologetics podcast. You know, and, and the thing to think about, Adam, when we started this uh, back 150 episodes ago, um, there was not a ton of apologetics podcasts, and I would even say today that there's still a bit of a void. I was speaking with Robert Bowman at that conference and. Uh, he himself, who is, you know, probably one of the best minds in apologetics, not just uh, apologetics when it comes to cults, but apologetic methodology, is a massive book, of over 800-page book that he's written on apologetic methods, and uh, he doesn't even have a podcast, right? And so, yeah. to me, the opportunity for people to get the word out there and for apologists to allow their voice to resonate a little bit beyond their th- uh, their 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 own church right is completely available and, and that's why it's so important in my mind yeah but we'll spend an entire episode talking about that shortly that was co-written by adam and travis and myself and yeah we've got to finish up uh the last two chapters and then it'll be ready to roll um and so we look forward to being able to produce that through baptist and reformed uh, publisher. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're going to go ahead and do that. Yeah. We're going to work on a publishing company, Baptist and reformed, you know, cause there's Presbyterian reformed and nobody's uh, come up to counter that. So let's, let us be the B and R, um, you know, and then, uh, see what our P and R brethren <laughs> do about it. We will not be that cool, but at least we'll, uh, you know, <laughs> at least we'll put our money where our mouth is and, and write and, uh, put, put resources out there um just putting more of a witness out there um like we've been called to do um and then god can do whatever he wants to do with it and we'll be pleased no matter what he does with it so um anyway um so let's get into the uh art let's get into stuff tonight we we have some memes that we'll get to uh but we also got a couple articles uh that we wanted to talk about you know there's so much stuff that's gone on that we did not hit but if you uh, i'm sure everybody out there is kind of um got their fill of the other things so we wanted to kind of hit a couple little side issues um this evening and the first article um you know is kind of brought to attention you know just thumbing through facebook and uh you know i follow um the gospel coalition uh on there and so i get some of their stuff and uh you know we've done a show like this before i think we talked about tom rayner's uh study and the, and the and the barna study on uh, the great commission and how christians don't understand the great commission and here's another one um that is a major issue um but uh tgc had an article called survey majority of american christians don't believe the gospel 
Yeah. So the, yeah. I have a problem with the title right off, I do. right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> the majority of American Christians don't understand the gospel. Well, then they're not Christian, uh, which yeah. is a pretty easy statement to make. If you don't understand the gospel, then your ability to be a Christian or especially be a Great Commission Christian, uh, I would really question it. If you don't understand the gospel, how in the world did you know what to do once you heard the gospel proclaimed? Uh, yeah. Very problematic, and I do think it was a bit of a uh, of a clickbait type of article. And, and, I, the, and the author did an excellent job, actually, of correcting some of this at the end. I certainly want to make sure to give uh, him credit for that. I, I do think that uh, Joe Carter did an exceptional job, for the most part, of, of explaining things at the end of the article. So we're just going to kind of unpack it yeah. uh, uh, just uh, line by line here, and I think that that's a useful thing for us to do in demonstrating how a Christian worldview should respond to things like this and should think about things like this. Yeah. So, you know, when we get into it, um, there is a link uh, to what they're talking about um, to the actual uh, survey um, from just, or at least a summary of the survey from Arizona Christian university. And so it's a AWVI 2020 survey, one in three U S adults embrace salvation through Jesus more believe uh, it can be earned. And so actually and when you get into the article, so again, this is clickbait. And I think out of all the problems in the world, I think, uh, I think it would be easy for Christians and Christian, uh, outlets of media, um, stop the clickbait. Let's be an example. So, you know, this is agreed. The, the title is not what you get whenever you read something. And it's definitely doesn't fit the survey because the survey, um, if you look at the survey, it's just using um, Americans um, in general. It's not making the uh, Christian claim. So it says only one third of American adults, 35% continue to embrace the traditional biblical view that salvation comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. According to findings from the American worldview inventory, 2020 from the cultural research center at Arizona Christian university. And so again, and um, we're looking at, you know, they're looking at a cross-section of the American public. Um, they're not utilizing this, uh, you know, Christians don't believe the gospel, um, unfortunately. Yeah, and- so, yeah, that's, uh, get your, I mean, I understand it gets your clickbait, um, but out of all the issues that I have with TGC, this could be like one thing that they could do to start bettering themselves if we just get off yeah, the Yeah, and, and I titles. think that that's an important thing. We are supposed to be truthful as Christians. And that should extend to the way we title our blog post, because if we're going to simply try to trick people into looking at our article, we're demonstrating a fundamental uh, mis, uh, mistruth. And I think that that type of practice not only demonstrates that we're just like the world, uh, there's no difference between us and them. And so this type of clickbait stuff needs to stop from Christian authors. And so I would call those authors who are writing blogs like this to... Uh, think about how they're actually presenting themselves at the very beginning. Because if you start in the article, it says, a survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University find that American adults today increasingly adopt salvation can be earned perspective. A plurality of adults, 48%, believe that if a person is generally good or does good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Only one-third of adults disagree. Again, that's not actually Christians, right? That's actually stating that it's American adults. So that should come as no surprise to us that people in the United States don't understand that Christ came and did all the work on our behalf. Um, 
the majority of Christ, the majority of American Americans are not finding themselves in Bible believing churches or in churches that again submit to the full authority of God's word or the very idea that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. There's a cultural Christianity at large here that is being surveyed, right? We would say that the United States, uh, what does report uh, in this same article, it reports that 65% of Americans say that they're Christians. We know that's not true, because if 65% of Christians were Bible-believing Americans, or were Bible-believing Christians, we would ha wouldn't have the cultural issues that we have today, right? If you're a true Christian, you actually believe that when God spoke, it actually meant something, right? That's a defining characteristic of Christianity, that you believe that God had the authority to speak, and that you submit to the authority of what God has said. And so, uh, not only that, like right off the, the top, this article doesn't even present what it is that it says that it's going to present, which again creates problems for me. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's the gospel that has the power to salvation, right? So yeah. that's, that's the thing is, if you don't know the gospel, um, if it hasn't been preached to you clear enough to where you understand it and, and believe in it, then the power of the gospel hasn't worked in you. Therefore, you are not a Christian now in a, in a broad sense, in a relative worldly way, you know, then that means the term Christian is relative and we don't need to be adopting the relative nature of terms. We need to go, no, this is Christian. This is not Christian. We get, you know, people who can explain the Bible should be able to define the position. So it depends on which term, which definition of Christian it is and who makes the definition of Christian. And unfortunately we've given the world uh, power to uh, define the Christian faith. And that's why there are the problems. And that's why whenever I go, no consistent Christians, well, in this case, consistent Christians will know the gospel. Um, right. Will they live like, you know, so in principle, they'll know it. Will they live consistently with it? No, but that's why the gospel, right? So, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's the thing. So, um, you know, it's a principle issue. If uh, you um, say that you have to earn yourself and in practice you are earning salvation, then you are not being biblical and the, thus you're not the definition of, uh, of a born-again Christian. And Carter born, writes you know, this. Yeah. yeah. A majority of Americans who describe themselves as Christian, 52% also accept works-oriented means of God's acceptance. Even those associated with churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Christ as Savior. Almost half of all adults associated with Pentecostals, 46%, mainline Protestants, 44%, and evangelical, 41%, churches, as well as nearly two-thirds Catholic, 70% hold that view. So the first thing that I would say is 52% of self-reporting Christians, that should yeah. come as no surprise, right? Again, because terminology of what it actually means to be a Christian is actually defined on the idea that salvation comes by faith, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the majority of Christians wouldn't even know those solas, and that becomes a very serious issue. And then as he goes to break down, or this survey goes to break down, those who are in the Pentecostal phase, 46% accept that idea. I'm not surprised. That means that the majority of Pentecostal pastors aren't actually preaching the doctrines of grace or the reality that God, in the work of Jesus Christ, did all the work to atone people, uh, to atone one and make them right before God. 44% of those who are Protestant 
41% of those who are evangelical. Again, shame on those pastors who are preaching in those churches that they cannot actually present the gospel in a way that people in their church would actually know that it's true and actually know that Christ himself died to make reconciliation. I mean, it's a very serious issue. Uh, the major problem is this ecumenical gospel that's been so popularized since the 1950s, right, where we don't actually want to talk about theology. But the reality is, theology is important. And where are most people going to get their theology? From behind the pulpit or from wishy-washy Christian uh, music, right? Yeah. Here's the other yeah. thing that was very striking to me, Adam, that was that nearly two-thirds of Catholics actually agreed with that. The and unfortunate the, yeah. thing is... Yeah, go for it. I was going to say, fortunately, 30% of Catholics apparently um, are still okay, or, and, and you can actually talk to them. <laughs> so there, there's a silver lining in that one. There's 30% maybe that are calling themselves Catholics that uh, if they're not holding to, because this one directly says um, works-oriented means to God's acceptance. Um, so the means in, in Catholicism would be to go to confession you know, it's it's all seven things. Um, you know, con- yeah, to take know, the mass, the penance, right. mass, have, all those yeah. kind of things. And now there's thirty percent. You know, of those thirty percent, you know, what, what I want to know what they do hold to. Um, if in that thirty percent, you know, they disagree for some reason, they're there for the smells and bells and all that kind of stuff. But they would say that I can only trust in Christ, and then I want to go and find them and be like, well, we need to get out of here. Because <laughs> you're not, yeah. you're not going to get discipled uh, in that. Um, but you know, so there's a silver silver lining in that, in, in the sense of Catholics, because um, whenever you think about that, the reason why it's different, there's a difference between um, Pentecostal, Protestant, Evangelical, and it's because of the Reformation. The Reformation right. is what uh, definitely the uh, you had the formal principle of sola scriptura, and then you had the practical uh, principle of justification uh, by faith alone. Um, so. You know that's that's the difference here. Why why you know there's only thirty or seventy percent of Catholics that get Catholicism, and that's the means of grace. They must be infused by it. They can do whatever they want. They can they can live whatever life they want. This is what Paul speaks against. By no means should we do this, but um, they they uh, basically fit the bill of. I guess all the stereotypes that, you know, why are mafia guys Catholics? Well, they can go out and kill whoever they want and do whatever they want. And as long as they go um, to mass and confess all these things, then they're okay. Now, maybe not in man's eyes, they could still get picked up and, you know, death penalty for murdering people. Uh, but in God's eyes, you know, Hey, I took the mass, you know, they're fine. Right. But they're stepping all over God's grace. They're sinning to make God's grace abound. And that is not, biblical um in that sense so yeah uh while about 65 percent of american adults describe themselves as christians only about 54 percent believe they will experience heaven after they die again a fundamental demonstration of the problem within american theology right these people that are saying that they're christians don't even actually believe that the bible is true because it talks about after death comes judgment yeah. right uh, Jesus says very clearly in his words, I go to prepare a place for you. And these folks who are calling themselves Christians don't even actually believe that. So the real problem with the whole study itself is it's fundamentally flawed and actually relying on people to report that they're Christians when they don't even know what the gospel is to begin with. What is it that 
they're being saved from. God's wrath is what they're being saved from, but they don't even know that God's judgment and wrath in hell, eternal conscious punishment, is something that they will actually experience if they don't trust in the completed work of Christ Jesus. The article goes on, only one-third of adults, 33%, believe they will go to heaven solely because of confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as their Savior. Another one in five expect expect to experience heaven are counted on earning their way or because they embrace universalism, that mm-hmm. God will get them all into heaven. Again, here's one thing that's conflated here. He jumps back and forth between those that are saying that they're Christians and just American adults at at large. Right? Yeah. The article, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Carter is a great writer, I'm sure, but he makes a really does a really big disservice again to try to make some things sound a little bit worse than what they are. When he really needs to be focusing in on those who are calling themselves Christians and saying that they're not sure that they're going to go to heaven after they die, um, yeah. a fundamental problem exists within the American pulpit. The very fact that people are calling themselves Christians and they've probably never even heard the true gospel. And that yeah. becomes the real issue. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, just think about it, because, I mean, there, there, there are ditches everywhere. And so, you know, we can't just wholly cling to uh, believe they'll go to heaven solely because of confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as Savior. There's much more to it than that, though. I mean, that that is partially true. And then, um, so, like, I mean, there's just a there's a fundamental flaw in just the the understanding of what they're getting. Um, they're not going to a full gospel, like uh, the full counsel of God being preached in their church or discipleship. Or if they are, they're not listening. Uh, they're still uh, going to their authority um, and not doing life in community again, discipleship and all that stuff to to uh, to uh, get these things worked out uh, biblically uh, from principle. To practice, um, but then it goes on to say, among those um, with other views, fifteen percent said they don't know um, what will happen after they die. Um, that's unfortunate because they they can get that from scripture. Thirteen um, percent said that there is no life after death. Um, that is sad because scripture says otherwise. Eight um, percent expect to be reincarnated. That's not even Christian. Um, and another 8% uh, believe they'll go to a place of purification prior to entering heaven, Catholics. Um, a mere 2% believe they will go to hell. And so Christians are just Americans. Um, if Christians yeah. believe that they're going to hell, I mean, you, you've got uh, that issue with uh, the oh, Cayman's call guy, <laughs> you know, which yeah. he might know, uh, you know, I mean, he says that like reformed theology is the most consistent, um, but he just doesn't feel assured. Um, he doesn't know if he'd ever feel assured. That's why he left uh, the Christian faith, you know. Um, but you know, there's that, um, and so he's basically saying that he um, is basically going to hell. Um, he can't be saved. He he can't be a part of the elect, and so he, you know, so that that might not be a pastoral problem. That could just be a personal a problem problem and authority. So we we've got to put uh, put the blame where the blame should rest in these situations. Um, it could be pastors. It could be um, just the communities around the per- person or the person themselves that is just uh, lacking um, submission to scripture, submission to authority, um, the way that the scripture has uh, delineated it. And they're just going on their own um, in this situation. Yeah. And so this is where I have the real, my real issue actually with the article comes uh, in what he does at the end of reporting all these things is 
Uh, he says what it means. Christians who believe that salvation can be earned need to read the New Testament. No, no, no. There are no Christians who believe that salvation can be earned. He needs to address that reality. There are zero Christians who believe that salvation can be earned. Fundamental to Christianity is recognizing that salvation cannot be earned. Yeah. So what he does is he actually plays to that definition. What he needs to say is people who believe that they can earn their salvation need to repent and believe the true gospel. And that is that Christ put on flesh, entered into his own creation to save people who couldn't save themselves. Yeah. Right? Here's the opportunity after his clickbait, when he grabs it, and maybe there's a non-Christian reading it, he needs to correct them right off the bat. Next, the other problem that I have yeah. with, this I, with this is he needs to say that pastors need to preach the gospel. Pastors need to share with folks in their pews every Sunday that they cannot earn their salvation. They need to be reminded of that time and time again. I mean, and that's one way where when we have an actual uh, well-developed Christian worldview, we can look at findings like this. We can discuss findings like this with lost people and actually point people to the reality that Christ saves, Christ alone saves, and it's by placing your faith in him, repenting of your sins, and trusting his work that you can be saved. And that's the only way that that can happen alone, yeah. right? And, like, he does an excellent job after this, by the way, of actually spelling that out. But the what it means is, uh, to me, completely underdeveloped. And, and that's why I was actually so disappointed with this article. Not only did he use clickbait to get people to look at it, but number two, when he gets to the what it means, he actually yeah. doesn't, uh, it, he doesn't actually um, implore pastors to actually preach the gospel and make sure their congregations aren't confused because of a wishy-washy presentation. I mean, unfortunately, that ecumenical gospel, which is no gospel at all, that's been perpetuated in the United States and led us to these traditional Baptist positions, right? That problem itself is, is one of the main issues, right? Yeah. I mean, once you actually start preaching the true gospel, people start to run. Uh, what people don't realize... And you and I were talking about this a little bit before the program began. What people don't realize is that when people, when pastors fail to actually communicate clearly that Christ and Christ alone saves, that's where the confusion comes. People think that it's their work of praying some magical prayer and asking Jesus into their heart that saves them. And they attribute those ideas to works that they had done and not actually the Holy Spirit changing their heart, and Christ ripping out their heart of flesh, or their heart of stone, and giving them a heart of flesh. And that's where the confusion comes in. A poorly communicated, and poorly articulated, and poorly developed theology on the part of folks who are filling the pews every Sunday morning at churches all across this nation. Yeah, and so what this means, I mean, really, this is and this is where we started, um, is just the the simple fact of you know it says Christians um, who believe that salvation can be earned need to read the New Testament. It's like no, what this means is if you hold that you are earning your salvation, you need to check and see if you are a Christian. Yeah. Um, you know the the thing is is we know scripturally um, those who uh, who uh, hear Christ's voice, they come, he will cast them out, and he will raise them up on the last day. There is a security there. But if you constantly are relying on yourself and not on Christ, I'm sorry, you, you have to question if you are a Christian. 
And so it needs to be pointed out. And, you know, the, the blame should not rest up on pastors either. Um, if you are a Christian and you believe in salvation only in Christ, that leads you to a life, you know, so it's, it's, uh, by grace alone through faith alone, but a faith that is not alone. Right. Um, if you see people who are in your church, if you, if you are holding on to the gospel and you see them trying to better themselves, if you see them, if you hear them saying things like, you know, I, I did my good deed today, you need to knock it down. You, you have a responsibility as a brother and sister. It's not just the pastors either. And I think that's another problem is um, if we, if we put the expert up, if we put the pastor up and this is his job, but it's not the job of the congregation. No, the pastor is a member of the congregation given a special gift. And there is an authority that he does have that you are to submit to, but then you are also to submit to one another um, as people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a submission there and we are responsible for each other as brothers and sisters to disciple each other, to rebuke each other, to exhort each other. And we have the same scriptures and we have authority from Christ to do it too. So it's not just the pastor's fault. So we can, you know, we can't just uh, make, put too much of a yoke on pastors on this. Um, so if you hear anything, if you see anything um, and it's against faith alone um, in Christ alone by grace, and all that kind of stuff. If you hear something different, you need to listen and take that seriously. And you don't have to like punch them in the nose with it, but ask questions. You're in a relationship. They're your brother. They're your sister. And you need to make sure that you can reconcile the relationship and reconcile them with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but it does need to be say, you might not be Christian if this is what you're holding to. Um, if you're a Protestant, you believe that about Catholics. But why can't you, you know, why do you let feelings get in the way and just let your brother stumble? That's right. You know, so stop being inconsistent and, and we need to take care of each other in this. We need to make sure that we are always constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. This is what community groups are good for. As a community group leader, you know, um, it's something that I've learned that something and something I need to do more in community group is just spontaneously ask um, before a conversation, what's the gospel and make somebody answer it just to make sure that they're still believing it. They still know what it is and uh, something that we are called to, you know, I think that's to be, it might be awkward, but I think uh, once you do it enough, you'll see why you need to do it (laughs) and that, that it does keep everything fresh um, and it keeps your mind in the right spot. um, So you don't go off into legalism or antinomian, antinomianism or just straight out the door. And right on. Let's jump to this next article, which is a yeah. little bit more, uh, a little bit more controversial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, by the way, just to let you guys know, in uh, live land anyway, and uh, on the podcast, if you heard a big boom, my kiddo just got home and he didn't realize we were recording, so he tries to get in. And I've got something up against the door, so he doesn't get in, and that's what went boom. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I they saw me have like a little bit of a freak out face and stuff like that i'm like no 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 <laughs> uh, during during all that serious talk anyway but yeah this is still the uh informal awesome tag you it podcast so anyway yeah, so we got this uh next article that uh dave brought to uh my attention and we haven't talked about this topic in a while so it's really good to you know stay fresh because it's still an issue um and it will be an issue as we continue on um you know, in our years until um, the gospel permeates, until we make disciples who make disciples. And, uh, you know, I'm, I am, I am still right there. I'm right there on Post Mill's door. Uh, (laughs) This will go away. 
<laughs> um, uh, as the kingdom of God grows, but we have to deal with it now because it's an issue. Uh, but transgenderism, um, it's still there, though. Though there's COVID, though there's uh, injustice and CRT and all this stuff to talk about, there's still other sins um, out there. They're still there. People aren't just talking about them because they're just not the big issues of the day. Um, so um, we want to give you a fresh, um, instead of talking about the same old thing everybody's talking about, let's uh, go back to something we haven't talked about in a while, but transgenderism, is it a sin? Well, according to Mark Wingfield, associate pastor of Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, the answer is no. His article is titled why being transgender is not a sin. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that we noticed doing just a little show prep before, uh, Wilshire Baptist Church is certainly not historically or confessionally Baptist. It is certainly a, a universalist church. Um, if you look uh, very closely on their, you have to look that closely on their church website to see the reality that they do not believe God's word to be true. They do not believe God's word to be clear or sufficient or authoritative in any way. And because of those things, there's some real problems. Well, so yeah, if you, yeah, if you go, go to the right. website, you're going to go, you're going to find it all over the place. So you're going to see uh, sufficiency talked about, but then it just doesn't jive um, with everything else that it talks about. So whenever we get into here, I'm sure I, I've got some things pulled up. I can, I can mention um, from at least where the, the church's website's confession of what they believe and, and some little teachings that I, I saw in there that seemed to be in conflict. But anyway, uh, Dave, you want me to read it? Yeah, go for it. All right. And so this is going to kind of fit in with the same uh, story and the same narrative um, that w we have discussed with uh, the venues and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of feels. And um, that's that's the reason why the shift in, in thinking it's not, you know, the, the, the ultimate standard here is not scripture. The ultimate standard is feels. And so this is the part of the critical race theory, intersectionality, postmodern worldview coming into the church and coming into a place where scripture is at so, some level talked about. Anyway, it says, I recently met a lovely young family in the Northern suburbs of Dallas. They told me they previously attended a large Baptist church there until their high school son became their daughter. The mother was committed to her volunteer work in the church. And when she told the pastor who supervised the ministry area that her child was transgender, the pastor said, that's fine. We love everybody here, but it's still a sin. Blah, so my blah, first yeah, problem yeah. becomes with what the pastor that, that, uh, that is being spoken about actually said, yeah. um, what he should have said is, man, I am praying for you all. I can't believe that. Your adult child has done this. Yeah. That is incredibly problematic. The picture I get is that this is not some adult child, but this is a teenage child or, or a child child that the parents have somehow let dictate their reality. I'm sorry, but every once in a while, my son will run around the house and bark like a dog or act like a cat. Uh, if he came to me and told me that he was a cat or a dog, I would correct him and let him know, no, you are a little boy. That is what God made you to be, right? Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. you have a very serious problem with a parenting issue, but not only that, you have a problem with a pastoral issue because he's not saying, oh goodness, what can we do for you all to help you minister to this child? What can we do to help minister to you? Obviously, you're not okay with that because you've been listening to what 
God's word says, and God has clearly revealed about hu about humanity, that man is male and female. God made them as such. Uh, Psalm chapter one hundred, verse three says, "Know that the Lord, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His." Uh, God is the one who made us. God is the one who has actually gifted us with the very gender that he has gifted us with. And, of course, there's a fundamental problem with what the pastor says there. Uh, he shouldn't say, that's fine. Uh, problematic right there. He's also making it very clear, oh, hey, that's all right with us if you have a kid who's living in sin and you're okay with that. Um, but he doesn't do that. Pastors are not equipped way too often, way too ill-equipped with knowing how to deal with the cultural problems that we face today. If someone came to me with that same issue, I would let them know, goodness sakes, I am praying for your child. Let's sit down in biblical counseling and let's talk about what we can do to correct this. Yeah, but yeah, the parent seems okay with it. Yeah. yeah, and that's the other thing is, is this is to paraphrase, like this is actually quoting the person that's paraphrasing a quote too. So what was actually yeah. said, we don't know. Um, I'm going to say that this is not a direct quote from the pastor, <laughs> you know, uh, but whatever it is, what it is, you know, saying, uh, be, because this can be taken in so many different ways. And since it's a paraphrase of something actually said, so we really don't know what was really said, it can be used, uh, for anything. So this is, you know, this is what leads to arbitrariness, but it goes on and says, blah, blah, blah. Um, but whatever comes after, but always negates whatever nice things were said. Uh, in the first part of the sentence, beware of the but. That's called a false dichotomy. So this is where conjecture comes in. Here's where um, my feelings start to bubble up. And because I feel you are this way, therefore it is true. And this is just postmodern thought. You know, that basically, um, whereas me as a Calvinist gets asked, you know, well, how do you know who, you know, you know, who are the elect, you know, and it's like, why evangelize and stuff? And it's like, well, I'm not going to use my feelings to make an elect meter. Right. So we need to stop for one. We need to actually have a conversation instead of getting mad and running away. We need to actually develop the conversation more over these things and uh, relate to one another so we can get the full issue uh, going on here and stop trying to determine and, and your feelings making, making the truth that this person um, hate you. We need to stop trying to, um, to guess motivations that we don't know. We need to stop the arguments from ignorance that then we use to generalize and tear down things. And we need to come together and get context, get what people believe, work it out, duke it out. This is supposed to be, this is what we are called to do as a church. And, you know, this is, might not have been what happened um, in this instance. Um, this person's very seemingly vitriolic in there, you know, with the blah, blah, blahs and all that kind of stuff. And then what yeah, you see and that's out there. Where, yeah. uh, that's where Wingfield really messes this up to yeah. me. He demonstrates right away that he doesn't care what scripture says. He's basically saying that anytime you point out sin, it's basically blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. And, of course, he not only demonstrates his inability to actually take seriously his call to be a shepherd of the flock, he demonstrates his uh, complete disregard for Scripture in itself. And that's problematic in multiple ways, right? And yeah. he's telling, essentially, other people to do the same. Whatever happens after the but, all the niceties, but then the but is a problem. Well, it's pretty clear, at least for me as a Christian, I'm not going to say the but. I'm going to say, well, that's terrible. I'm so bad. I'm so sorry. That breaks my heart to know that they've chosen that lifestyle. Um, 
There's multiple problems with that, but we know most importantly that God condemns that type of behavior. Uh, what can I do to minister to you? He doesn't even worry about that, right? There's no evidence here in his article that he actually even cared enough to, to minister to this hurting family who was yeah. dealing with this problem, right? And then what does he do? He says that Scripture's clear declaration about gender really doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, some would look kindly on the suburban pastor's response, but uh, because after all, the pastor didn't kick the family out of the church or condemn the teenager straight to hell. But even among Christians uh, who appear kind or progressive, uh, too often the existence of someone who identifies as transgender gets chalked up to sin. Well, it is, <laughs> but uh, no doubt that's the root of the reason so many Christians happily pile on against transgender persons and their family members about bathrooms and schools, because in their heart of hearts, they don't understand transgender identity and simply default to thinking that it is a sinful lifestyle choice. And this is a problem again. Um, now the people with the feelings and the feelings determine the truth of the situation now project on people, then it has to be their feeling. They, they, and it's in their feelings that they feel that this is wrong. Therefore it's wrong. And the transgender person and their feelings, this is right. I feel this way. It's right. Therefore it's right. And so they're projecting that the other side is doing this all just based on feelings when it's just the fact of we can go through scripture. It's not just feelings. It's the way things are, were sub supposed to be. God has made people in his image. Yes, we have fallen, but if we look to the time before the fall, everything was, was in harmony and was the intention. It's the, it's the, what we can kind of look back, you know, uh, what we see, uh, male and female, um, they were designed for a purpose. We can see all, you know, there's not every bit of information in there, but we can go back, through scripture and look at that. We can go um, in other scriptures that talk about certain things and deal with it. And God has described things. He has given commands and all that kind of stuff. And so I call it a sin because it is a sin, not because I feel that way. That's right. Well, and that's yeah. the problem because he's not yeah. actually ever looking to scripture yeah. here or even recognizing the reality that Christians have a reason for calling things sin, right? Is it sinful to struggle with gender identity is a different question than the question, is it sinful to say I'm a different gender and live as if you're a different gender? Those are actually two different issues, yeah. right? And he's failing to recognize that. I think that, again, uh, we've talked with our show that we did with, with Samson a while back, mm -hmm. right? I mean, over two years back, right? Yeah. He recognized that, hey, it is sinful for me to give in to some of the homosexual uh, tendencies that I have. This is a sin, this is a temptation that is on me, right? That's different than saying I'm going to embrace full transgenderism, right? Yeah. That's a whole different category. But again, uh, Mike uh, Winfield, Wingfield here doesn't ever go to scripture, right? Here we are multiple paragraphs in, and what he's basically doing is attacking anyone who would have a biblical worldview or a biblical understanding of gender. And that's a completely yeah. different thing mm -hmm. than actually dealing with the sin of embracing transgenderism as my identity. And, and yeah. we're going to get into that as we get a little bit yeah, further I mean, on. The, the next, the, it's, it's the next part that shows you he doesn't care about scripture. 
Um, he doesn't care to have any sort of scriptural definition, but um, he just he it's going to appeal to your feelings. He's going to make it shallow to build up a straw man to blow away. And uh, it says, I think we can all agree that a sin is something we do that we shouldn't do, something we have a choice about. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is going to this, this is this puts things backwards because he's going to say transgenderism and as an identity but sin is a work but notice what the ultimate that's, that's standard the bad thing here is, yeah. is yeah i think we can all agree it doesn't matter yeah. what we agree on yeah right there's the problem now here's where this gets so deceptive because he's trying to come at people again from an emotional standpoint from a logical standpoint let me reason with you but he's fundamentally showing a complete disregard for what god has decreed what is sin are the things that God has decreed as sin. What God has clearly defined in his word as sinful behavior, right? And this idea of I get to choose what my gender is disregards the reality that Psalms 100 tells us that it is God who has made man, not we. We aren't the ones who get to make that decision. God has gifted us with gender. God has put it in our DNA, right? And see, here's the other issue. That little girl, that little boy who said that he was a little girl, right? His DNA didn't change, yeah. right? Who he was didn't change. How he felt about himself didn't change, right? You get again to the problem with the alcoholic, right? Who says, I have to have alcohol. I have to have alcohol. Though it's destroyed their family, though it's destroying their body, right? The truth is they don't have to have alcohol. The truth is that they don't have to have it, that they actually are flawed in their mind and they're unhealthy in their thinking according to reality, objective reality. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, but the thing is here, too, again, like he, he, he says it backwards. So sin is a work. Sin is something that you do. And then he goes down and says um, transgender identity. He says it's not a choice. It's who a person is. Um, so unfortunately he gets it backwards because sin is not, and we, I do not agree. Um, maybe one aspect of sin is that we do what we shouldn't do. Um, according, you know, if we're doing something against the law, um, of God, but it's not just that we are sin, our identity is like, we, again, it has to come back to, we don't sin and then become sinners. We sin because we are sinners. That's right. Um, we reject God. We reject his law. We are going astray. Um, we don't care about it. We do not care about God whatsoever. We know, and it says in Romans, again, this is what we went through. Um, we know the due penalty. We know the covenantal sanction of death against what we love to do. Yet do right. it and applaud those who do it. Right? And that's every one of us. Um, that's yes. what we're saved from. So he says that sin is the actions that we do, but transgenderism is an identity issue it's the other way around we're a sinner and pick your pick your poison which how do you want to kill yourself <laughs> do you want to kill right. yourself um with uh whatever sin do you want to kill yourself by being a murderer and and not caring about god's creation and god's going to judge you for your murder um he again he's made male and female we are um, covenant. So, like I just talked about gender. If you're if we're going to make gender a, a subjective thing, then that would have to relate to the covenant. We have covenant roles 
as male and female too. So there's something immaterial about being male and female. And that has to do with the covenant roles that God has instilled in mankind. And so it's not just a, he's made me a man and that's just a physical thing. There is an immaterial issue as well. And that's a covenantal issue as, as a covenant man, I blank as a covenant woman, she does blank. Right. And so if we're going to try to get rid of the objectivity of sex and gender, then it's going to go and hang in the air. And the only way to make sense of anything hanging in the air is a covenantal issue um, as, as a Christian. So again, this is where theology is very important. Um, but uh, the thing is, uh, I think we can all agree that sin is something we do. Uh, we shouldn't do something we have a choice about. Again, yeah, we get to choose the sin that we want, right? But we're going to choose whatever we want that is sinful because we are sinners. Um, but then he just you know, has some whimsical thing. If I eat an entire half gallon of ice cream, I'm likely to be guilty of the sin of gluttony. I mean, it, it, basically, we're just making fun of, of, of sin right now. Well. <laughs> and here's the issue. What if I disagree with his yeah. definition of yeah. sin? Yeah. What if I disagree with his definition from of sin from the standard of Scripture? Yeah. Because that's not the way that, that sin is ever described in Scripture. And then how do you even know what you shouldn't do? According to what standard do you know what you shouldn't do? Two yeah. major issues that he, again, demonstrates, disregards what Scripture has said. And so his statement that transgenderism isn't a sin, he's now rationalized while he, why he can say transgenderism isn't a sin. It isn't a sin because he doesn't care what scripture says. Transgenderism isn't a sin because he thinks that sin is defined as something that we shouldn't do and we have a choice about. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, whenever we get into the next part again, where he talks about transgenderism being an identity issue, he goes, um, did you choose to have red hair? Do you choose to be tall or short? Um, did, did you choose to have the genetic markers you have? So, um, Dave, haven't we done an issue on, uh, uh, and talked about kind of some studies before that, um, these things are not genetically found. So whenever I look in DNA, we can actually see that there's a gene for red hair. We can see genes that may, that would say this person ends up becoming tall or short, right? Right. So That's right. we should be able, if he's going to make this case that they are objectively, um, genetically transgender, where, where's the studies? Where, where, which genes yeah. determine and somebody's And he even recognizes later in the article that those, that those studies don't exist. Exactly. There is no objective study that proves this exists. And here's my other issue. He's making a categorical difference. Yeah. And he hasn't even said it. Is it a sin to have red hair? Well, no. we all know that it's not a sin to have red hair. How do we know that? Scripture tells us that. Is it a sin to be short? I hope Scripture not for you, Dave. say that it is. <laughs> I, sh I sure hope you're not sinning, dude. <laughs> so, here is the issue. You, again, are actually saying, I have red hair, but I don't feel like I have red hair. It'd be like me saying, you know what? I'm 5'3", but I feel like I'm 6'4", right? That's the difference. You can live in a false reality because yeah. your genetic code tells you something. That doesn't mean that it's right. And so his analogy falls apart simply, uh, very simply, right? Because he mixes categories so clearly. 
Yeah, so uh, let's see here. Let's uh, move on. Uh, I mean, I can, I can go till the go to the end or whatever. But uh, we can, yeah, we can, you do whatever you like. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, it just it's when it comes down to it, um, it's like uh, just the very end here. I mean, it's just it's telling, um, just the just the just the scriptural view, just the ideals behind all this. Um, sometimes well-meaning Christians get this uh, part, but still can't uh, get over the sin label. Um, so they will say things like all of us are sinners in God's eyes. And it's just, uh, it's just, my sin is different than yours. Um, that's another way of saying, I love you, but, um, there's an easy way to remember why this is wrong. Transgender identity is about who a person is. Again, we've already just destroyed that. It's not a person. Again, you'd have to give me evidence (laughs) that it's a person scripturally and scientifically. Um, and there's none either way. It's not a who a person is, but here's the problem. It's about their fundamental being humans created by God in God's image, an image that God has declared to be good. Now what's the problem with that? The problem. Yeah. The problem is, yeah, he, he is okay. We're made in the image of God. I agree. Um, it, it, that's a, that is the fundamental issue of being a human. You don't have the image of God. You have no definition of human or person or anything like that. That is anything in objectivity. Um, but the thing is, an image that God has declared to be good. So it's, this is the God made me this way um, def- defense, and it's not true because we are not good. Right. So this is again where um, just faulty theology and it's and exists in different forms with different conclusions everywhere. Where we like to talk about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and all that kind of stuff. That we'll talk about the fall, then we go back to creation, skip over the fall, and get to you and me. That's right. We like to do that all the time. It seems like people love to do that all the time when it comes to. Um, those deep when those deep feelings come into the conversation we forget the fall we cannot deal with the sin issue um because we have a false dichotomy that if you if you um say something bad about somebody if somebody's a sinner therefore you they you hate them and it's like no stop calling evil or stop calling good evil because the good thing that i can do is diagnose you I have been diagnosed too. We are all diagnosed to be sinners. We are sinners. We are objectively sinners. We choose to sin. It doesn't matter which way we go. We are going to sin. And there is something like if if Christ says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, what are you being set free from and what is the truth? Apparently, you didn't have it before. You didn't have freedom before. You didn't have the truth before. And it was the son that set you free. But then that traps you to what the son said which then presupposes the father and then presupposes creation create you know and, and how god created it and what god intended with his creation and that we fell so you cannot get rid of the sin issue which is what happens in these conversations and it's because of feelings and now it's just manifested in postmodern thought we can't do that you know that's a oppressive um you know this this is all that kind of stuff i'm being oppressed and the thing is, is now you're calling uh, good evil and evil good because you are, it is, it is wrong to be a sinner and be called out and uh, be judged for your sin. 
and and that that's the problem that's why we can't let this kind of stuff creep in man right on well it all comes back to a lack of a high view of scripture mm-hmm. once you begin to say that god cannot speak clearly once you begin to say that god cannot have authority and that god cannot speak sufficiently uh you will allow issues like this to be okay yeah no. so what do you believe about god's word and, and that's where it really uh, begins to demonstrate his fundamental rejection. Yeah, of and, and, and the Joe thing Warnia. is, is like, I just don't get it because, okay, so his name's Mark Wingfield. Yep, that's right. And uh, uh, he is, a, at least in the article, you know, we can trace him to um, oh, uh, Wilshire Bab- Baptist Church. And so whenever I go to their website, you know, I, they have a, we believe, and it says humanity sinned and fallen, although created as in the image of God, humanity fell from fellowship with God through sin and continuing choice, the continuing choice of all men, the continuing choice of all men and women is to dis- disregards God's will in favor of their own desires. So he doesn't even agree with his church's statement. Now, That's right. now, if you read more of their church's statements and stuff, they don't even agree with each other. That's, yes. the, that's the sad reality of what I've just read here. And you can do it yourself. Don't take my word for it. You can go to their, their website, uh, WilshireBC.org. Um, Very progressive and all that kind of stuff. They're, you know, I, I hope they're, uh, they shouldn't be in the SBC if they are. I don't think they are, though. Uh, but they are a Baptist. They got the Baptist moniker um, on there. But they, you know, there says that, that we are not, we're not good anymore. The image of God is a good thing to have, but we are not good. God has not declared us good. Actually, we all have become, what does it say in Romans? Worthless. We are worthless. Are we willing to say that about ourselves before Christ um, comes and enters our life? Whenever we look back, whenever we are born again and we see our past life, we should say we are. We were worthless we became worthless. We were darkened. We were ignorant. We were acting in rebellion. But Jesus is what gave me my worth. And so that's the only way you can have worth. But, you know, so that there's just stuff like this whenever you go to the website. He doesn't even agree with his church. So, you know, are we? do we have a church of just a bunch of disconnected, independent people that come together on tradition, I'm going to say, yeah, that's the only reason why they're a church is because they were grown up into it. Yeah, they don't like the message, but they like coming together and the Bible has been a part of it. So it's just a piece of history. And that's why they're going through it, you know, but whenever you get into their, their universalist for one, and um, they've got uh, tons of, you know, it's, it's one of those things, another hot button tick or hot topic issue. They've got lots of um, uh, resident uh, pastoral residents and they're all female. There's not a male one um, in the bunch, at least what they show, but they do have a uh, male pastor, um, which is, According to scripture, anyway, what is 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 called for um, in the household of God, how they're supposed to operate as the church and the church government um, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, it's just kind of just crazy to read this article, click on over to his church, and then they can't even make sense of anything. And he's trying to make this dogmatic statement that transgenderism is not a sin, yet you've relativized everything. So it is and isn't a sin at the same time in the same sense. And so you just yeah. destroyed um, any sort of rationality to be able to like hate people <laughs> and not like people like me him would actually be like, well, what do you define as sin? Yeah. And he said, it's the things that we 
no, yeah. we shouldn't do. Yeah, it's well, just a so word. Our, our mind is the standard weighing mechanism for what is wrong and what is right. Yeah. Cool. So then give me your car keys. Now it's my key, my car. What, well, my mind tells me that it is. My mind told me that it was right. So you have no reason. To, you can't judge me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, everybody, this is, uh, you know, the, the constant, we were going to talk about critical race theory a lot this year, and I know that uh, we've taken a break and we haven't talked about it, but this is why. Um, just, just to let you guys know, this is why um, you have Tom Askell um, and, you know, us kind of joining it and a lot of other people joining the thing. Like, we do not need this especially being being uh southern baptist you know the, the they were the last ones to almost go uh liberal uh against uh, the uh inerrancy of scripture issue and we were the last ones to kind of start going that way and we got steered back um let's at least do that again if we go down and we're the last ones kind of to go mainline wise um into this stuff let's turn back around but let's not even get there um let's call it right. out and this is this is whenever the social justice gospel gets into your church. This is whenever all these um, ideas from academia, from what I would call the synagogue of Satan, which is a Satan's church, which is the university. Um, not saying that, that you can't learn things there, go there, be a part of the culture, learn, but know the scriptures first, be a disciple of Jesus Christ as you go and make disciples there, learn what you can learn there. But just one of those things, this is the stuff that's creeping in from there, getting into our churches and uh, then people are becoming pastors, people are becoming church leaders, and they're leading the flock into this kind of stuff. And this is why we are, you know, we are among a bunch of people that are saying, hey, let's, let's not even deal with it. Um, this is not from a Christian worldview, and it's only going to destroy things, and it's going to, and it is destroying things. And even though they might seek some success at being inclusivists now, um, uh, they will set their own trap to destruction. They will be destroyed if it's not um now they will be judged um and they it's all these teachers you know jesus said to matthew 5 if uh anybody teaches these little ones to sin you know that's that's not what jesus wants and this is what they're doing um they're teaching right. people to sin and they're calling again they're calling uh evil good and good evil and this is why it's important. So anyway, I think, yeah, we've gone definitely an hour, nine minutes uh, with those two articles. And so that means we can do two shows. Right. <laughs> so we'll let you guys, uh, you know, we'll have those two articles and uh, the next episode will be about memes. We'll take uh, for the live guys. We'll take about a, uh, say a little 10 minute break to kind of uh, re rehash the little things. And then, um, um, well, I need to take a little break here. Um, I've had a lot of, I've got a big cup of water. Um, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, uh, we'll take a little break for, in live land and uh, for you podcast guys, we'll see you next week. Um, we're going to do some meme theology and that'll be a fun little episode. So with that said, I'm Ray Ray. This is Dave. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.